All right. Hey, guys, grab a seat. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 is where we'll be. This is good. We still have uh, plenty of room right here for people to sit. If there's any who would like to join us for Scatter Church this morning, everybody is joining us no matter where you're sitting. What you're seeing is what God has called us to do. Wherever we go, you just may not have microphones and lights, and that's okay. Acts chapter 11 is where we'll be this morning. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and Pastor Eric has been teaching us what it looks like to fulfill our calling as a church, that God's design for us in Christ Jesus is that we would know God and be united in Him, not just as those who know that God exists, not like uh, someone who is a, from a different country or a foreign place coming into somewhere else where they don't quite have citizenship, but rather as those who are called into the family of God. And because of that, we're united in Christ. We're family. Y'all, we're family, right? Look at the person next to you and say, we're family. Now look at the other person and say, we're family. Y'all, we're family. Now look at everybody up here and say, we're family. Now, everyone try to orient to everyone online and say, you're family. Y'all, I'm telling you, we are family. But sometimes what can happen is if you are raised in a particular culture and everyone around you looks like you and they dress like you and they eat what you eat and they talk like you talk, you can begin to think that the family that God has created is for only people who look and act and think and talk like you. And that was the problem that's going on in Acts chapter 11. They began to think because until this point in the book of Acts, it's been about seven years. And man, the gospel has just been like exploding in Jerusalem and, and Judea and parts of Samaria. But do you remember the great commission that God gave his disciples? Uh, Jesus, he said, he, said this, he said, go and make disciples of what? All nations, right? Baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, uh, uh, to, teaching them to follow everything that I've commanded you, for behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then right before he ascended, uh, he said, listen, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, that whole Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria thing, it's been happening. We've been reading about that. But it's the ends of the earth that God's people began to think uh, they are okay because we're reaching people like me. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning in the Bible, when God promised in Genesis that His nation through Abraham would go to the ends of the earth, when He uh, reminded him again in Genesis 15 that like Abraham was going to be as uh, the, the, the sands, or in 13, that as, as the, uh, the dust of the earth. That's how numerable you're going to be. And 15, as like the, the, the stars in the sky. You, may, you can't even count how many people God has planned to be in the family, in the lineage, uh, an heir of the promise of the covenant that God gave Abraham. In fact, and then he continues on, man, and he, he, he tells him, you are going to be the father of, of nations. That's where God goes with the promise to Abraham. And all of this before, he, was, he received the mark uh, of being a part of the people of God. 
Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. Y'all turn to Romans, or rather, Romans chapter 4. Paul kind of summarizes all of this in Romans chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Because, like, this idea of somehow God's gospel is just for people who look like me was causing them to be united by the things that made people look and act and think like them. And God intercedes in all of that and says, no, that's, that's not what my family is for. My family is to be united around one thing alone, and everything else doesn't matter. So here's, what, here's how Paul kind of summarizes this whole idea. He says, Romans chapter 4, verse 1, what shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? All the marks that God had promised. It'll get awkward for a second. I'll only say it once. Circumcision. This idea was what in Acts chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 18, what, that, what the, 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 the people who'd first received the gospel were qualifying as a mark of those who have believed in Jesus. And so what Paul's going to do is say, what are we going to say by Abraham? Literally, the very first one that God talked about this with. In verse 2, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, that is something that could be done by hands. Again, it gets a little awkward, but none of the men who were saying that this was a mark that should be for followers of Jesus were born that way. It was something done by man's hands. It was a work. And works aren't bad, but works don't save you. They don't qualify you. They're not the thing that gets you into the family of God. And so he says, what was saved by, for if Abraham was justified by works, well, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say, verse 3? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 4, verse 4. Now, as the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, verse 5. But to the one who does not work. Okay, the one that the rest of chapter 4 is going to go into explaining, the one who, who is not able to keep this uh, symbol done by men, the one who can't somehow bear a mark of earning their way into the kingdom of God, which is everybody, guys, which is everybody, because all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. For the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accredited as righteousness. And so here's what Paul does in uh, continuing on, and this is so important because Paul's going to get raised up in the story as the one who disciples those who cannot earn the kingdom of God, which are the Gentiles. He, look, at, well, look at what Paul says going down into verse 16. This is why your salvation depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, and the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In the middle, Paul argues in verse 11, God did all of this through Abraham before he received the covenant symbol. Abraham's faith was counted as righteousness before that sign was done. And Paul says, listen, this is God's plan from the beginning. If you don't believe me that it's God's plan from the beginning, it's God's plan at the very end too. Go to Revelation chapter 1, chapter 21 rather, real quick. 
Revelation chapter 21. Let me, you, you'll see where this like whole family of God thing is going. From the very beginning, God's promise to those who would believe in Him is that He would bring them into His family. And go to the very end of the story, and you'll see that it's not just a nation, but it is nations that God saves in His kingdom, isn't it? Look at Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, okay? A whole lot has happened in the first, 20, first, first 21 chapters. Just roll with it. We'll explain that another time. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. And here's why. For the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the one that gives light to this city. And then verse 24, by its light will the nations walk. Do you see that? The nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. Its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. Do you see God's plan from beginning to end in the Bible is this, that he would create a family united under himself that in that unity that supersedes all things about us on earth we would be one family made of many nations who glorify God. That we would be disciples of all nations. And here's the danger that they'd fallen into. When we change the gospel to be for those who only look like us, we're, we're changing the very gospel of God. And that's a dangerous thing, y'all. It's like, it's really dangerous when I look at my neighbors and my neighborhood, or when I see people at the mall that I uh, just get a weird feeling about, or when I see someone that doesn't look like me and those attitudes and thoughts flash through my mind that, man, I'm, I'm some, that, that they, they, they are far beyond anything, or they're far beyond me. Do you see how evil that is? How out of line with God's plan that is? And so what God is going to do is help those who believed like that, which is somewhat natural in the church. For the first seven years, they just kind of did this and kind of forgot about the whole nations thing. Not everybody, but many of them, most of them. What God is going to do is begin to change the church to fulfill the calling of being scattered to reach the nations. And here's what they're going to learn, what we're going to learn today. If it goes, whoops, my tech skills are bad, guys. Welcome to church. The family of God is for them too. That's it. So that's what this text is going to see us. Whoever they are, we're going to learn out what that is, but the family of God is for them too. This week, as you're going around and you see someone or you see something or you see your neighbor and you're not sure whether or not they would be someone who you could invite to hear the gospel or that you could share the gospel with or that you could bring with you to church. You just remember, no, 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 God's design, the family of God is for them too. It's for them too. That's how God has designed it. The family of God is for them too. Now look at, look at Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, and we will answer the question, who are the them that this is for? Acts chapter 11, beginning of verse 19, it says this. Now, those who were scattered 
because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Do you see the problem there? Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, we'll have to figure out what that means also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay, so now that you've heard it, let's see this together. We're going to see that the Jews, that the them is the Jews and everyone else too. That's like really bad grammar if you're an English teacher. Maybe I think it's proper grammar, but it's really good theology. The them is the Jews and everyone else too. Look at what this says. Look at what we just read. Now, those who were scattered, why were they scattered? Well, they were scattered because the heavy hand of the leaders around them did not like what was going on and began to drag them away and persecute them. They couldn't meet because soldiers would show up. They would be killed or persecuted, and so they began to scatter back to wherever they could be safe and then find believers to meet with and share the gospel everywhere they went. And that's what it says, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, uh, Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and here's what they did as they went. They, went, they were speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Okay, so here's what you need to know. The them is definitely the Jews because God's family's for everybody. Now, the Jews are not neglected in the gift of the gospel. Those are God's historic people that He used to bring about His plan of the gospel to the nations. We don't want to downplay the reality that they get the gospel as well. But it's not just the Jews continuing on. There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene. We don't even know their name, y'all. Like, these aren't the apostles that were with Jesus. These aren't like named disciples or even those who uh, were called out to be deacons. These are like some average uh, Joes who were persecuted, ran for their lives, probably with their family, and they said, Jesus has changed everything about me. He's brought me into the family. I'm going to bring others into this family as well. And they began to go, and on coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. Who in the world are Hellenists? Hellenists are uh, non, uh, uh, are Greek, uh, non-Hebrew-speaking, non-Jews. That's who they are. This is about as far from being a Jew as you can possibly get. They don't speak the language. They don't have the culture. They don't have the, they don't dress the same. They don't eat the same food. They don't, they don't, they don't do the same things. They have a, a totally different uh, moral compass, although, you know, not as far as the Jews would like to say they were different from them. They were someone that was very different than anyone, any group who had received the gospel so far. And here's what these men were doing. They were preaching the Lord Jesus to these people. And here's what happened. It turns out that God's word from beginning to end, that the family of God is for everybody was coming true. Because those who had not received the gospel because God's people weren't speaking it to them, when the word of God got to them, they believed and turned to the Lord. It is true that 
to the one who does not work, who couldn't possibly keep the standards of the, of the Old Testament law, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accredited as righteousness. This is what we see happening. Disciples of all nations. The them is the Jews and everyone else too. This is a massive turning point. And here's what happened. What happened to the them? They got a brand new family. Look at verse 22. Here's what happened. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas, verse 25, went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Look at what happens to these people. Look what happens to the them, to the those who were until this point deemed unlike the Jews and therefore uh, irrelevant to hearing the gospel. When they heard the gospel, they became part of the family of God, and the church that had for so long fought the idea of people that don't look like them and act like them and smell like them and eat like them the people that had a different culture than them, fought the idea of them receiving the gospel, takes them in as their family and sends Barnabas to help them. Barnabas has one of the coolest reputations in the Bible. Like, this would be, if this could like mark your, well, not mark your tombstone, you, I guess, get to kind of choose what you put, I don't know how that works. But like, if someone said this about you, like in eulogizing, this would be awesome to have a reputation of. Look at verse 24. For he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Like, that's, that's his reputation. The church said, let's send Barnabas. This is the perfect guy for this job. He is the, has the right reputation. He is ready to go. And here's what happened when this man, who was, uh, who was, uh, who was good, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, showed up in this place where the gospel was reaching for the very first time. He saw the grace of God. He saw that the message was there. And he was glad. He rejoiced. Now, here's something that's really cool. Luke writes the book of Acts, right? He does. Luke, Luke writes the book of Acts. And uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, right? Like Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so when you look at what it means to be glad throughout the book of Luke, it is this, this idea of glad, this idea of rejoicing is found only, like I can't make this up, there's one exception, is found when God is obviously at work. Every time in the book of Luke, with one exception, there is one exception in the book of Luke where someone rejoices and it's the Jews when they find out Judas will betray Jesus. They rejoice because they think they can get rid of God. In the book of Luke, what brings 
Joy is the presence and work of God. Acts, which is like Luke 2, written by Acts, a transition happens. This idea of being glad is found when Jesus is present. Here's what you find. When you find the work of God in Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, this word is used. Here's what we see. Barnabas goes, and he sees Jesus working, and he rejoices. He says, this, this is it. This is, this is awesome. This is what God intended. This brings me joy. I see Jesus working where Jesus' joy is, and I'm seeing Jesus here, and this is bringing joy. That's what Barnabas saw. He was glad for what he saw. But for those who had historically been his people's enemies, they received the gospel and he brought great joy and committed his life that they would know it even greater. That's the second thing he did. Continuing on, look, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He didn't just dunk them and drop them or save them and leave them. Man, he said, I am in this, that they can know Jesus. I can continue to go with them. And then he and God did something unique together. They went and found Saul. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. No idea how he knew Saul was there, but he just, I guess, did. And you remember back in Acts chapter 9 that we read and learned about that. Pastor Eric taught us about that in Acts chapter 9, it was Jesus himself who confronted and changed Saul, right? I mean, he's the one that did this. And Saul is going around just growing and learning and ministering. And Barnabas says, man, I know a guy who's specifically called out to reach and lead people just like this. I'm going to go find Saul. And so God and Barnabas work together to bring Saul to this people that the gospel has reached who had never had the gospel before. And watch what happens with these people. As they go in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is a massively pivotal moment. Finally, when, in the book of Acts, the gospel is for Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. The Bible tells us, God's Word tells us, this detail is included that's what it means to be like Christ. When we allow the gospel to be for them as well, we are being like Christ who did not count equality with God something that could possibly be grasped, but rather took on the form of what? Of a servant. And he came down and he gave his life. This is the testimony of God and the gospel. This is what he does. He brings everyone who would believe in him in his family. And finally, when the church looks like this, he said, my name is on that. That's what Jesus, that's why I sent Jesus. That is what the Christ comes to do. Those are Christ's people. Those are Christians and the reputation of following Jesus as a name for the people came first to those who were not historically Jewish. This is a massive shift, and it's the name that marks all who would, who would believe in this from this point forward until you and me today.
So what in the world do we do with this? Well, watch what happens with these people. They got a new family, and then they became family. Part of what we can be guilty of doing is receiving the benefit of being in the family of God but forget that the blessing of the family of God is not when we receive, but when we, when we give. Because as Christians, we are bearing the very name of the one who gave. That's the heart of God. Now, watch, watch how he changes their hearts. The very people they learn in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus uh, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, so, you know, Google him. And so, the disciples determine, okay, the disciples, this is in Antioch, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the disciples in Antioch determine everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers. Do you see that? It's uh, brothers and sisters, your translations will say, because what they're saying is, man, they're us, they're our brothers and sisters, we're all Christians, they need help, God's changed my heart, even though they didn't count me in, we're now in with them, and we are family, let's help them, everyone, the best we can. Do you see this massive heart change from uh, hundreds of miles away? to the believers in Antioch for those who are now with them, uh, even though they don't have the same language, even so though they don't have the same culture, they don't eat the same food, they don't dress the same, they don't have the same skin color, or eye color, or hair color. They, they are different in just about every way, but there's only one way that matters that's, that is the same, that unites them all, and it is the name of Jesus. And so they send it. So, what in the world do we do with this? Well, first, what does it look like for us to be united by Jesus like this? Or, what does it look like for us to be a family? Man, it, it looks like people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, both giving and receiving and receiving and giving the blessing that God has blessed us with because we're family. Like, we're, we're, we're family. Somebody look at someone you haven't said this to yet and say, we're family. We're family. Yeah, we didn't say that yet. Like, we're, we're family. It, it looks like something like that. What does it look like for you, for us to be family. Like, we got to figure that out as a scattered church location. We're, I know, some of you don't even like me some of the time, right? I, uh-huh, yeah. And so, we got to figure that out. We got to figure out what it looks like to be family. Last, what does it look like for you to see your neighbors as those who need to be brought into the family? Well, we got to figure that out. And that's what we're going to pray about for just a minute. And we're going to spend some time kind of praying over these two things as individuals and as a group.